first Corinthians, if you will, first Corinthians. Bear with me as I get set up here. I say, and pastor, that's a lot of books and stuff. <laughs> Getting pretty serious about what we're doing here, folks. <clears throat> Remember, we're not playing church, right? We come to church on purpose. Why? Because we, as the Bible says in all, several of the epistles, we serve the living God. The living God. The living God. Some people worship a God that is not alive, but we serve the living God. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. We started this last week. Uh, this is continuing concerning spiritual gifts. So this is part two. And folks, we're going slow on this. You say, well, this is a different type of uh, message, different type of message than what you normally preach. It is. It's, it's uh, more of a teaching time, but this is so foundational to what we need to know if we're going to see God's church grow. And we need to understand that each of us, upon salvation, God has given us a gift. And he intends for us to use those gifts within this body to edify the body that we might grow thereby. Let's have a word of prayer, and I'll try to figure out where to start into this uh, lesson this morning. Father, I ask you that you would meet with us today. God, we know that you're here. And I guess, Father, the meeting part comes in when we go, okay, I'll open that door and allow you to come into my heart and meet with me, God, and speak to me. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us here would set aside just a few moments that you might teach us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'll be pleased with what is said and done here uh, this morning. Uh, God, I ask that if someone's here that does not know you as Savior, that they would listen and understand and know that you sent your only Son to die on the cross of Calvary for them. And God, you paid the penalty for the sin of all mankind. It's already been paid. All we have to do is acknowledge our sin, reach out, trust you as our Savior. God, I, there might be some here that are considering membership. Dear God, give them peace in their heart that they might move forward. Whatever the need is, dear Lord, we ask that you'd have your will and way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, kind of looking for which way to go here. Keep in mind as we study 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, we're dealing with some of the most controversial passages in the Word of God. And these lessons will be more of a teaching time. Last week I started this series of lessons concerning the spiritual gifts. This is not my personal notes. These are notes that I have captured. And we're using the work of another man. Our goal is to have a firm grasp of what spiritual are what spiritual gifts are 
available today and which ones are not, the temporary gifts. So what we're talking about for the church here, we're talking about those permanent edifying gifts, the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, and the reason for them, the reasons for them. By way of probably a very poor illustration, uh, the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment, how many know what the Second Amendment is about? Okay. Provides every person born in the United States the right to bear arms. And as citizens, we are allowed to have, or if we choose not so, to not have guns. But it is our right. It is our right. There are those that would take them from us. It is your right. I remember years ago, uh, our pastor asked John, who was in our membership, a policeman, to come in. It was on a Saturday morning. We'd had a breakfast. And uh, so they got all the guys there. And then he had John come in and bring his guns <laughs> and give everybody a lesson on firearms and firearms. I remember John going through that and teaching us about it. And it was very interesting. And he took his gun and he set it up on the podium where he was speaking from. And he said, now, he says, so if I take my gun totally apart, disassemble it, and he said, I place it on a counter or on top of a bed or wherever it's at. And he said, I asked my son, what is that? He said, my son will tell me that's a loaded gun. That's a loaded gun. Why? John was teaching his son that that weapon is a source of enormous power. Enormous power. And then John went on and instructed us in the safe and effective use of a firearm. I guess the point is that million of us have guns. It's our right. Million of us have guns. However, many have not received the proper instruction as to how to properly and effectively use them. They do not fully recognize its power. Similarly, as God's children, we carry around us with us our sword. Our sword. The Word of God. But the question is this morning, how many of us are aware of its full power? What it has the ability to do? How it can take and change the heart of a wicked sinner like me? How it can take and change the heart of someone that we just put in your mind the most awful person that you can imagine. God can change that heart. That's the power of God's Word. How many of us can rightfully divide the Word of Truth? So I'll come back to this morning. This is a message that I would want to pe preach and teach maybe through a series of video lessons or on a maybe a Sunday night or perhaps even a Wednesday night. But folks, I've got to get as many people here together as we can. It's that foundational to what we need to know. So our goal is to fully arm you with the truth and power of God's Word. And along the way, we're looking to rightfully uh, interpret it as God intended, not as what we feel it should say. Sometimes we allow our feelings to bleed through there. Sometimes we, we allow our feelings to rule and guide us when we should yield ourselves to God's Word. Uh, it's not always easy to do that, folks, especially when it hits home, when it hits home. 
I'll be giving an illustration tonight in our message tonight and uh, uh, about a man that had set in his mind to do a certain thing and he was faced with uh, an obstacle and so that's my teaser for tonight but at any rate so in this series of messages we are focusing on spiritual gifts focusing on spiritual gifts now this is a phrase if you got a pencil or something and brother Daner one of these days I'm gonna give you some points to put up on the screens but if you're gonna write this down this is good in order to use our spiritual gift in order to use my spiritual gift. Your life has to be semicolon. It has to be spirit dominated. It has to be spirit directed. It has to be spirit controlled. I think most all of us would say we'd want the Lord to use us as we go through our daily walk. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's good, good words there to drink in, but we don't take them to heart. We, we live half in the, half in the uh, spiritual world and half in the carnal world. I remember years ago I was talking to a man, and, and I understood what he was saying. And he, he was, technology was really picking up and the, the ability to use computers and your phone and what have you. And, and he said, uh, well, that guy, he's a good guy. He said, but he lives half in the technology world and half in the, half in the paper world. <laughs> and I'm, I'm one of those paper guys I have to watch. Because you get, you know, in the business I've been in, you write notes and what have you. And as I've told you before, it's then, where did I put the note? And then if I find the note, who wrote that? And it was me. That's bad. But we're trying to understand that in order to be used by God, in order for God to use us, everyone in this church membership, to do what he intended for us to do, he has to dominate me. He has to dominate me. We've all seen the boxing matches and the fights. and uh, You know, there's been some fighters. I remember when Mike Tyson came out years ago, and he was just... Nobody could stop him. I remember my dad would watch the fight. He liked to watch the fights. And he called me. He goes, he said, well, I'm sitting down to watch the fight. And I, several times it seemed like he would call back within five minutes. Well, it's over. It's over. What happened? Tyson dominated him. Dominated him. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to dominate our life if we're going to be used for him. You know, folks, we're not perfect. We're a collection of sinners saved by grace in here, just loving on Jesus, loving on one another. But all along the way, there's always that constant check. What are you doing in my life, God? I remember the Apostle Paul in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Romans, remember he talked about the things that I would do. I don't do. We're all that way. We fight those battles. We fight. We fight within our spirit to do the right thing. Try to recap just a little bit if I can. We talked a little bit about the church, the importance of the church. We talked about how that there are misconceptions of what a church is. Some people look at it as a, at it as a, uh, a collection of people that's in a, in a uh, um, oh 
gosh, what's this called, right? <laughs> we're in a neighborhood and where we're trying to meet the needs of those people. Some, uh, some people look at it as a, like a big Catholic type looking church with a lot of, you have the Pope and you've got the uh, uh, priests and you've got the uh, cardinals, things like that. Some people look at the church across the street going up and they go, I don't want that there. People have different concepts. The makeup of the church is the body of believers. That's us. That's us. Jesus Christ is the head. We are the body. God is very organized. He just didn't throw this together and say, there, figure it out on your own. Do your own thing. He really didn't. He gave us a set of instructions. Alice and I have been reading through the Bible. We're in the book of Numbers now. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Habeas. This is what it goes. This is what, you know, this and this and this and this and this. And do it this way and do it this way and do it this way. And it's amazing. He was a God of order. God of order. And we need to understand that the church is not just this building. It's where we meet. But it's as a body and as having a head, it is a living organism. It's alive. It's the fullness of him. Ephesians 1.23 says, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So it's not a human institution. We didn't put this together, folks. We're not that smart. God did. God did. Matthew chapter 16 said what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. The church is eternal until God comes for us. We worship a supernatural God. We worship the supernatural Holy Spirit that dwells within us. I pray that we worship. You know what, folks? This is the amazing thing about having God as your Savior and having that Holy Spirit living within you. You can worship Him all by yourself. I don't think God receives any less pleasure in that. I think He's very delighted in that. Very delighted in that. Just had a thought. I wanted to read you a verse here. I wanted to lead off with that this morning, but I forgot. In our reading, came across this scripture and I thought it was great. I've lost it. <laughs> I can find it to my phone. But it says, Oh, magnify the Lord. Those that love his salvation, oh, magnify the Lord. But at any rate, and we are a result. If you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you are a result of a supernatural transformation. Something that happened. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The problem is, we're much like that carnal church in Corinth. We've got the old man. We've got the new man. Those old things are passed away, and yet we kept keep going back in there and digging them up, digging them up. Alice says, I'm a hoarder. <laughs> she said, you need to throw some stuff away. I'll get to it. I'm, get to it. I'm still a young guy. I'll get to it. So, uh, but sometimes you find something. You know, I'll be going through a stack of whatever, and I'll go, oh, forgot I even had that. You know, that's great. But we've been given the Holy Spirit by a supernatural endowment. 
And we've been given a gift, a gift by which we can minister within this body of the church until it comes to the fullness and stature of Christ. Spiritual gifts have a critical function, a critical function. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man hath received the gift, so even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And again, I need to reiterate, church is not a spectator sport. These are not seats to watch what's going on. These are seats to be actively involved. You're what's going on. You're what's going on. You're what's happening. You're sitting there this morning. You've come in and you go, I've got my own set of problems. But you look across the room and you go, their countenance has fallen. I need to go talk to them. I need to go see if I can pray with them about something. I need to spend some time with them. That's what you do. The church is a body. And as such, we work in harmony. We work in symphony together together. All along the way now, as we talk about gifts, you need to understand that there's a great counterfeiter out there. His name is Satan. He counterfeits. He tries to counterfeit and gives, God's giving you this, so he's going to give you this. He doesn't have scripture, so what he does, he takes and changes scripture just a little bit, just a little bit. The counterfeit is tearing down the church. He's not building them up, not building them up. Uh, we have background on the church of Corinth. We talked about how it was established by Paul over an 18-month period of time, how that they were a church that was carnal, carnal. They had problems in the church, and Paul found out about these problems. And so now he's written through the first 11 chapters dealing with these problems dealing with these problems through the first 11 chapters. They were severe problems. It's hard to believe that a church could have that many problems, and yet I think many churches do have quite a few problems. We have a good way of hiding them. We tend to hide them. You know, God's not pleased with that. God wants those problems to be dealt with. Remember I talked about they had human, uh, human wisdom. They had divisions in the church, you know, um, problems, problems. God's not pleased with that. So, I'm, I think I'm up to where I need to go to now. So, as I said earlier, in order to use our spiritual, our gift, our life is to be spirit-dominated, spirit-directed, and spirit-controlled. Dominated means I'm consumed by him. He overwhelms me. He is my all in all. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about. Stop. What are you thinking right now? What are you thinking right now? If you're thinking anything else than God, I make my point. Corinth had a corrupt society, and they had managed to drag into the church life from the outside. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And yet what they did was, oh, got to take that along with me to church. Just drug it on in. Drug it on in. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
And then back to 1 Corinthians 1, 7, he said, so that ye come behind in no gift. So that ye come behind in no gift. In other words, they had everything. They had all the gifts. They lacked nothing. Yet in spite of all their knowledge and all the things that they had, they were ignorant. Which brings us up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. All this has been said before. Now. He said, now. We're getting to where I want to be. Now. So chapters 12, 13, and 14 deal with spiritual gifts. Well, they were confused about the Spirit. Confused about the Spirit. They were, they were confused that they're consumed with the concept that the Holy Spirit dominated their thinking, but they confused the manifestation of the Holy Spirit with ecstatic and enthusiastic activity. We'll get to those words probably next Sunday. They exploited it. What happened? For example, someone would stand up in the congregation. Now, this is back in the first century. And they would give an utterance. And it might be a speaking in tongues because that gift was given for a sign, for a time. It's now not available. They would give an utterance, whether it was a language or a prophecy or interpretation. And it seemed to them to be more godly, the more wild or the more outlandish it was. That was more godly. That's why the gift of tongues or the gift of languages became the one that was really exploited. What did they say? What did he say? Oh, well, he said this. This ecstatic speaking occurred as if it were the true gift of languages, and it was given credence as the highest degree of spirituality. Remember? You're praying. The publican beat upon his breast. God, be merciful unto me. Wouldn't even look up. But some within the body want to have the preeminence. Some want to have people look at them and consider, I am spiritual. Some have deceived themselves into thinking that by doing this, they are spiritual. And the more bizarre and far out it would be, the more spiritual they were looked upon. This is a carnal concept. It was a remnant of their unsaved, their idolatrous days when ecstatic utterances made by their pagan priests, made by the worshipers, under control of a spirit, a demon, not God's spirit, not God's spirit. That was the kind of culture they lived in. And they had dragged it into the church. They did not understand the spiritual gifts. Oh, they had a zeal, but they weren't separated from the world, which takes us back to being dominated by the Holy Spirit.
They lived in an age when religion was connected with ecstasy and frenzy and bizarre things. It was kind of a hysterical enthusiasm and extremism that existed in their pagan religion. It was dragged into their church. Now, don't lose me. Try to stay with me if you can. Why, there's a prominence of a mystery religion. In their culture, they had a certain kind of religion that we call the mystery religion. Have you ever heard that? You should have. The mystery religion. These mystery religions had as a characteristic of their fun function these kinds of frenzies, these ecstasies, these enthusiasms. And it had infiltrated Corinth. And it infiltrated Corinth. And it was easy for them to do because why? They were in their carnal state. They were not dominated by the Holy Spirit. And it would dominate them, this demonic spirit, and it confused them to what the true gifts of the Holy Spirit was. Why? They were consumed with the thought of that, and ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay? And so they were enamored and, and ready for that and excited for that, and they wanted to be a part of that, but they didn't understand. And there were divisions in the church. Why? From dragging in things in the world that they had held to before before they were saved. They had divisions of philosophers. Remember we talked about how that one said, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos. Others said, I'm of Cephas or I am of Christ. They had created personality cults and they said, Daniel's over here, I, I like Cephas. Elizabeth says, I like Paul and Tim says, I like Christ. And, and we all picked the one that we wanted to follow. And what happened? It created divisions within the church divisions within the church philosophies we talked about how that sex was rampant in that church at that time lawsuits marital conflict abused their liberty liberty everything that was a part of their carnal lives in manifested itself in their church we need to leave all carnality out of this body. We need to leave the world out there and focus totally and allow the Holy Spirit to dominate us. Francis, you should have God, the Holy Spirit, dominate your life. Lynn, the same thing. We should have God, His Holy Spirit, dominate our life. They began to do things with new definitions and terms within the confines of Christianity. Doing the same things they were doing before, before they even knew Christ and calling them gifts of the Holy Spirit. They just gave it a new name. Just gave it a new name. There's an impact on the world. They worship under a system known, I mentioned this a while ago, mystery religions. For over a thousand years, these religions at that time dominated culture. Take your Bible and go to the book of Revelation. In order to understand this, we need to look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 5.
Revelation 17:5 says, "And upon her head, upon her forehead, was a name written: Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth." This is discussing the final form of world religion. Final form of world religion. We're out and gone. By the end of the tribulation, the church is gone, taken out. And this is the form of world religion that comes together under one heading. Under one heading. The final form of world religion is called Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon. The mystery religions came out of Babylon. And all false worship reverts back to, guess where? The Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. So when this religion comes together at the end, it's just a final form of the Babylonian false system. See, the true church is called what? The bride. The true church, the true religion is called the bride. So the antithesis of that would be the harlot. The harlot. Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon. If you turn to Genesis 11:9, you don't have to do there, but the Tower of Babel was man's first sophisticated, organized counterfeit of a true religion. This tower was built to God, and Nimrod was the apostate who set it up. He was the grandson of Ham, which, if I got it figured out right, made him the great-great-great-grandson of Noah. Noah. What's that? Five generations? Took them five generations. Eight people. God saved eight people. Alive on the ark. And in five generations, look what they're doing. By the way, we do this in our hearts every day. They established a false religion as it had been as a counterfeit to the truth. As a counterfeit to the truth. It's mystery religion. These mystery religions had as a characteristic of their function, again, these kinds of frenzies, these kinds of frenzies. Maybe as a tease here, I'm going to give you something here. <clears throat> The word ecstasy comes from ecstasis and enthusiasm. In our society, enthusiasm means something different, something different. It means giving it your all, giving it your all. But the Greek meaning is a state of euphoria, a state of a euphoria induced on someone to make them semi-conscious. And I would submit that this is what we're seeing a lot in those that try to practice the gift of what they call speaking in tongues. It's ecstasy. It's ecstasy. And it puts you in a state of unconsciousness where you lose your moral compass, your moral inhibitions, but your body and your emotions functions. 
might be brought on by fasting, uh, brought on by whirling dances, contemplation of sacred objects, music might whip you into this frenzy. There's two kind of, there's two abnormal states of consciousness. Two states of consciousness. In ecstasy, the individual is lifted above the level of his ordinary experience. What would ordinarily happen? How do you know in our day we call them holy rollers? You know? Uh, they'd be rolling on the ground. Uh, more recent times you have uh, the laughter barking like dogs, uh, just all kinds of things. Something you wouldn't normally do. I mean, if I were in a business meeting, I wouldn't go rolling on the floor. They would call the people with a little bit of a wagon and come and take me away with the white coats. But it puts you into an abnormal consciousness of an exhilarating condition. And what you need to understand and remember, you'll have people say, but I experienced it. I experienced it. Well, you certainly did, but it was not of God. You experienced something, but it was not of God. There's no easy place to end. I think I'm going to have everybody just bow your heads, close your eyes at this point in time. <clears throat> We're getting into the point here where it's going to be my intent to give you a printout next week of ecstasy and of enthusiasm as we try to define what's going on in the lives of those individuals that are steeped in this. Again, this is what was going in the, the church, going on in the church of Corinth. This is what was happening. People had a zeal, had a desire to serve the Lord, and yet they were not separated. They were not consumed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not dominate their life. And as such, they had no discernment. And so they just drug in all the things that they'd learned before, brought them along with them, and put them into the church. And that's when Paul found out through some people, things are happening here. We need your help. We need your help. But bottom line here, we're talking about the gifts that God gives the children of God. It's, not a, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be ashamed to say that God has given me a gift. We just need to understand and know what gifts those are. Those would have to be the permanent gifts, not those temporary gifts, which so many people use as a way by means of showing that I'm spiritual. I'm with God. God is with me. You know how you can tell God is with you? By the way you walk. The way you live your life every day. If you're dominated by the Holy Spirit, you will walk a certain way. And with that, I guess I would just ask you, child of God, how was your walk this morning? Does the Holy Spirit dominate you? I mean, when you get up in the morning, are you thinking on him, perhaps humming a 
a chorus or singing a song without even really realizing it. Why? Because you're just consumed with him. He overwhelms you. You have to think of him. Stop. What's in your mind right now? What's in your mind right now? See? He's not dominating. Father, I ask that you'd have your will and way. I know it's a different message, dear God, but I pray that we would at least attempt to grasp what you're trying to teach us this morning. Why? Because we desire to see this church, McKeever Baptist Church, grow. How's that going to happen? Well, God, we know that we must be aligned by your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be our common denominator. How's that going to happen? Well, God, we've got to each allow you, your Holy Spirit, dominate us. That is my prayer this morning, that your Holy Spirit dominates each and every life here this morning. I pray to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. Heads bowed and eyes closed. It's a time of invitation.